When the Hebrew people fled before the Pharaoh, they approached the Red Sea and God split the sea in two and they walked across on dry land and then the Lord closed up the sea behind them and swallowed up the Egyptian army. He was with them to protect them and to provide for them as they were going across the deserts of Sinai. He, he gave them a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire in the nighttime to guide them. He provided manna for them in this barren wilderness. And later in the, the giving of the law, God, God ordered that the people would remember this time with an annual festival that's called the Festival of the Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths. It's translated in some of our Bibles. And this, this Feast of the Tabernacles was a festival that was held during the fall of the year uh, that was uh, tied in with the harvest time as they would bring their harvests in. And it was one of the festivals in which all of the, the Jewish families were to head to Jerusalem and to celebrate there at the temple. And part of this Feast of Tabernacles meant that they would live in tabernacles or tents for seven days during this festival. As a matter of fact, Jewish people still do this to this day. There's a, here's a more modern picture of them living in these tabernacles for the week during this festival. And so they would do this because it was a reminder of how God was with them throughout this Exodus period. And one scholar writes that this was to teach them that they were always pilgrims and strangers on the earth. This world was not their home, and all the great blessings of life would not necessarily be found in this present time, but were waiting for them in glory. Now it's interesting when you come to the New Testament that Jesus chooses this time, this Feast of Tabernacles, as a time to, to reveal part of who he was and to make some important announcements about himself. During this Feast of Tabernacles, one of the things that the priest would do is that they would have a, a, a water ceremony in which they would go down to the Pool of Siloam and they would fill up these great pitchers and they would come and they would pour out the water there uh, onto the altar inside the temple. And this pouring out of the water uh, symbolized for them their hope that the Lord would send rain uh, to produce harvest. As I said, this is part of the harvest time with the Israelite people. And so it was a, it was a, a hope and, a, and a, a prayer that the Lord would continue to pour out his water, his rain onto uh, the land. And it was during this time that in John chapter 7, Jesus says to the people in John seven thirty seven on the last and most important day of the festival, he stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Another important ceremony that was part of this Feast of Tabernacles was called the Illumination Ceremony, the illumination of the temple, and it involved lighting these four enormous lamps that were found on, uh, on the temple complex in the court of the women. And these lamps were 75 feet high, and they had oil that, that fed these lamps, and they would light them at night uh, to remind Israel of the pillar of fire that led them through the wilderness during that time in their history. And it was at 
this lights were so bright that, it, that, they, that scholars say that it would illuminate the entire city uh, at nighttime. And so this is big, enormous, bright lights. And it was during this time in John chapter 8 where Jesus stood up and said, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this, this festival was, was an annual reminder to the Hebrew people that this world was not their home. And when you get to the New Testament, what Jesus shares with them at this festival is that I am your home. C.S. Lewis once wrote, Our kind Heavenly Father has provided many wonderful ends for us along our journey, but he takes special care to see that we never mistake any of them for home. As we've been going through this series, and today we're going to conclude this series in Daniel, we've been looking at how we are exiles in this place. And the question that we've asked each and every week is this, how do you live out your faith in a world that's not your home? How do you live out your faith in a world that's not your home? And today we're going to see in Daniel chapter 7 that it comes by recognizing that your home is in the kingdom of God. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. I'd ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word if you're able. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 in verse 9. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, the word of God says, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court was convened and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. And as I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed." Thank you. You may be seated. As we take this passage of Scripture today and we move it thousands of years into 2022 and look at how we can apply it into our hearts today, the action step for today is for us to anchor ourselves in our citizenship in the kingdom of God. To anchor ourselves into the citizenship that we have in the kingdom of God. And so I want us to walk through Daniel chapter 7 and see what the Lord is showing us today about our citizenship in his kingdom. The first thing that we see in this chapter is that man's kingdoms are temporary. Man's kingdoms are temporary. When you look at this chapter, Daniel has a vision. And it's one with with lots of imagery, lots of, of vivid pictures and symbolism. For example, in verse 4, he sees uh, these beasts that come up. He says, the first 
was like a lion but had eagle's wings. And I continued watching until its wings were torn off and it was lifted up from the ground and set on its feet like a man and given a human mind. In verse 5, he says, suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. In verse 6, it says, after this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads and it was given dominion. And in verse 7, it says, after this, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it. It had ten horns. Now, there's a lot of ink that has been, that has been written throughout the history of the church trying to interpret each of these beasts and, and to interpret what they represent. People try to connect them to ancient kingdoms and to, and to modern nation states. I'm not going to try to do that today because I don't think that that's what the point of the passage is. When you read through these visions of Daniel, the transitory nature of man is what it's about. It's readily apparent. Uh, when you read through these, the, this vision, I mean, it's, it's almost rapid fire. One vision is barely viewed when another rises to take its place. He says, I see this, and then I see this, and then I see this, and then I see this. They're, they're constantly being replaced by the other. And this is how the kingdoms come and go. This is how the kings are replaced by another one, and another one, and another one. In fact, when we read through the book of Daniel, so far we've had King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, King Belshazzar of Babylon, King Darius of the Medes, and King Cyrus of Persia. (laughs) That's just in Daniel. And so this is microcosm of what we have seen played out all throughout history. You can go to any place on the earth and see how it was once dominated by this king and this kingdom, and then it was dominated by this king and this kingdom, and over and over and over. And this is what the Lord is relating to Daniel, is that the lives of men are fleeting. In Psalm chapter 103, verses 14 through 16, the psalmist says, He knows what we're made of, remembering that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He he blooms like a flower of the field when the wind passes over it. It vanishes and its place is no longer known. That's what you get when you look at these visions. One after the other is replaced by the other, by the other, by the other. They're like grass that grows up and the wind passes over it and it's vanished. So what does this mean for us? It means that Whatever it is that you're going through, it's not going to last forever. Whatever it is that has you so anxious today, whatever it is that's weighing so heavy on your heart, whatever it is that's pressing down on you so strong today is not going to last forever. This exile won't last forever. 
In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Here, God calls whatever it is that you're going through right now a momentary light affliction. Now, that's not to say that it's to diminish it or to say that it isn't real or that it's not hard or, or anything like that. It's to say that it's not going to last. It's just for a little while. It's temporary. How many of you have ever done home improvements at your house? Anybody ever done that? It takes time, doesn't it? it takes, takes effort, takes energy, takes resources, investment. Whether you're going to remodel a bathroom or whether you're going to, to redo a floor or whether you're going to paint or, or, or patch some things or wh- whatever it is that you're working on, it's going to take some energy and effort and time from you. It's going to take an investment from you. But what if I told you that you were going to be moving out of your house in five months? Would you do that remodel then? Probably not, right? Why? Because you're not going to be there. I mean, why would, you, why would you put all that into the house when you know you're not going to be there in just a little while? And God is telling Daniel, this world is not your home. You're not going to be here very long. And so how much of your time and energy and thoughts are consumed with things that won't matter in eternity? So invest in what will last because man's kingdoms are just temporary. But as you continue in this passage, contrasted with man's kingdom is is God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is eternal, he shows us. God's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this earth. His kingdom isn't built by human hands. It's fashioned by God himself. And his kingdom will remain. His kingdom will last forever. He says in verse 9, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow. The hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. And so when you're reading through this vision of Daniel, there's almost this parade of these beasts that come out. There's this beast that looks like this, and then he's replaced by this beast that looks like this, and this beast that looks like this. And you see how how quickly they are overcome one after the other. But then someone enters the picture. Then someone else comes and takes his seat. And the wording here of his vision, it it connotes that this is quite different. This is someone that has a different kind of power. This is someone who has a different kind of authority. This is the Ancient of Days. He's the one who stands outside of time. He's before time and above time and timeless. Job chapter 36 verse 26 says, Yes, God is exalted beyond our knowledge. The number of his years cannot be counted. He has no beginning and he has no end. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 
John sees the vision where the Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This ancient of days created time. And he's the all-powerful God of the heavens and the earth. In Psalm chapter 90, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. The Ancient of Days is depicted here as the supreme judge of the earth. He's sitting on his judgment seat. And his throne is flaming fire, meaning that it's carrying the refining judgment of the world. All the other kings, all the other kingdoms are subject to him. And this vision shows us that all of his judgments are righteous and they're all true. He's perfect in his justice. We see this as his clothing is White as snow, his hair is white like wool, which means that he's completely pure in all that he says and in all that he does. And what does the Ancient of Days do in this passage? Verses 13 and 14, I continued watching in the night visions and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days And was escorted before him. And he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. So that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And so the Son of Man comes riding on the clouds. Coming before the Ancient of Days. The Son here coming before the Father. We know the Bible teaches us that God is triune, that he's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this vision is revealing to us the role of the Son in conquering sin and death for mankind. And here he is given dominion. He is given glory. He is given a kingdom. And this kingdom is vastly different from all these other kingdoms of the world that we have seen in these visions. Every people and nation and language will serve him in his kingdom. This is not a a localized kingdom. It's a universal kingdom. All of creation is bowing before him. This is not a, a temporary kingdom. He says it's an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. And so although man's kingdom is temporary, we see in this vision that God's kingdom is eternal. And so we've contrasted the temporal nature of the kingdom of man versus the eternal nature of the kingdom of God. But I want you to also notice the character of these kingdoms as well. In verse 19, we see how man's kingdoms are oppressive, thirdly. He says, I wanted to be clear about this fourth beast, the one that was different from all the others, extremely terrifying, with iron teeth and bronze claws, devouring, crushing, and trampling with his feet, whatever was left. You go down to verse 23, it says, this is what he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. 
In verse 24, he goes on to say the ten horns that come from the fourth beast are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. And another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. And so what these visions reveal is that kingdom after kingdom are conquered and overthrown. And the words that Daniel uses to describe it are words like devouring, crushing, trampling, subduing. These are the words that he uses to describe man's kingdoms, these earthly kingdoms. It's not a pretty picture. It's it's one of destruction and one of despair. But that's the nature of the fallen world in which we live. That people hurt people. And that people take advantage of people. And when you look at these kingdoms, there's oppression and abuse and injustice. There's violence and insurrection and genocide. There's perversion and immorality and infidelity. There's hatred and pride and selfishness because there is sin. Because there's sin. And the levels of our depravity are on full display Jesus describes them like this in Mark 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, For from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts and sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, uh, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. This is what this kingdom, this temporal, earthly man kingdom is like. This is the way of the world because it's our way and we're of the world. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that all of us have gone astray, that, that every one of us has participated in this great rebellion against God. John chapter 3 verse 19 The Bible says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We want the darkness. And it's only through the saving power of Jesus Christ that we are redeemed. It is only through the the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that we are born again. Paul describes it like this in Colossians 1.13. He says that he has rescued us from this domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And so we become part of God's kingdom and then we become exiles in this world. And the sinful nature of this world is particularly opposed to the children of God. When you go on in this vision, we see how he describes it. That those who are the redeemed of the Lord, who are living for this kingdom of God, we become a target for the kingdom of the evil one. In verse 25, he says, He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. That's because Satan hates God and hates everything about God. 
And so Satan hates you. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that he comes to kill and to steal and to destroy your life. And so Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Satan wants to destroy your children. Satan wants to destroy your family. Satan wants to destroy your friendships. Satan wants to destroy your witness. Satan wants to destroy anything that reminds him of God in you. So when you strive to walk in godliness, Satan hates that. When your marriage is a reflection of the love that Christ has for his church, Satan hates that. When your parenting is a reflection of the loving authority of a father to his children, Satan hates that. And when you're living out your faith and leading people out of his kingdom and into the kingdom of God, Satan hates that. So don't be surprised that Satan would come against you. Because the Lord told us that it would be so. Because man's kingdoms are oppressive. Man's kingdom may be oppressive, but God's kingdom is victorious. But God's kingdom is victorious. And this is the kingdom that you and I are a part of if you're born again. In this vision, there's this pompous king who seems to be a powerful king that is speaking all sorts of things against the the Lord, but he is no match for the king of kings. And so when you come to verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, but the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. And the kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus is a mighty warrior and that he has paid the price for our sin and died for us. He answered all the charges that Satan has brought against us except that he walked out of the grave alive. And when he did that, sin was defeated and hell was overcome and Satan was vanquished. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37 through 39, Paul says, No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the Bible tells us that Jesus holds the keys of death and of hell and that he is the victor. And if we are in Christ, then we are victors as well. His victory becomes our victory. And so we're no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer guilty, but we're pardoned in Christ. This world is dark, but Jesus told us that he's the light of the world. This world leaves us thirsty, but Jesus tells us that he's the living water. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're, set, we're told to thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, 
always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so we wait. And so we wait. We're living out our faith in this world that's not our home. And God has, has promised his children this final victory, that Jesus will return again, the Son of Man coming on the clouds again with the sound of trumpet blast. He will come so that we will live with him forever in paradise. But now we are exiles in this world. We're living in tents, waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. We're waiting until he makes all things new. No mourning or crying or pain. See, life in this world can be hard. But he's Emmanuel, God with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, We're afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. So how do we live out our faith in a world that's not our home? By anchoring yourself to your citizenship in the kingdom of God. Understanding that this is just for a while and it's not the end of the story. Because in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you could have peace. You'll have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. And so our kind heavenly father has provided many wonderful ends for us along our journey. But he takes special care to see that we never mistake any of them for home. And someday... We will no longer be exiles. We will be home. And that's a good day. That's a good day. And so Christians, this morning, my prayer for you, the action step for you today, is that you would anchor yourself to your citizenship in God's kingdom. Keep your eyes fixed on the eternal victory that we have as citizens of the kingdom of God knowing that this momentary light affliction is producing in you an eternal weight of glory in Christ. And so perhaps during this time of response, you want to spend some time in prayer at this altar, there at your seat, thanking the Lord for the victory that we have, putting your hope in him, that no matter what it is that you're going through, that it's just for a while, And there's coming a day that you'll no longer be in exile, but you'll be home. And you want to thank the Lord for that. There may be others here this morning who have never trusted in Christ for salvation. And as we see in this vision, the kingdoms of this world are passing. They're going to be judged by the ancient of days. The Bible says that all of us one day will stand before him in judgment. And what will that day be like for you? I can tell you that it won't be good, except that the Son of God, the Son of Man, came to earth and lived a life 
without sin and he, he took all of our punishment upon himself. He died in our place and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven of our sins. So that we could be made new, that we could be cleansed of all unrighteousness, that we could be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him. And that can be true in your heart today. If you'll repent of your sin and call on Christ to save you and to forgive you, to give your heart to follow after him as your king. And so that's the decision that some of you need to make this morning. And there's going to be leaders here across the front. And as we stand and sing, I want to encourage you to come and to share that with one of them. However God is speaking to your heart today, now's the time to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Our Lord and God, we thank you that we are called sons and heirs, that we are citizens in your kingdom. God, that what we see here is not the final word. Lord, this is just a temporary kingdom that is fleeting and passing away. But we know that one day the Son of God will come again to make all things new and to bring us to be with him. And so, Lord, we, we long for that day. Lord, we long to take as many people out of the kingdom of darkness into that kingdom with us. So, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts to be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because we know that our labor is not in vain. God, I pray that today that we would anchor ourselves in our citizenship in your kingdom. And Lord, I pray for any that are here today that have never trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, that today, Lord, they would realize that, that they can become part of, of your kingdom, that they could be transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your Son. And so, Lord, I pray that today that they would repent and believe in Christ as their Savior and King. God, move in our hearts during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.